we're in the fourth week of our series on the Holy Spirit. This is our, this is our final week, and I told our team this morning, it's our final week right now. We will always continuously have a conversation about the Holy Spirit uh, in this church because we want to be Spirit-filled, but we always also want to always be Spirit-led. So we, uh, the more that we can talk about the Holy Spirit and the more that we can understand uh, who He is and His role in our lives, the better off we're going to be as individuals and the better off we're going to be as a church. But this morning, um, I'm going to talk to you about a couple of things, but basically on this theme of what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean and what does a Spirit-filled life look like? What is a Spirit-filled church supposed to look like? And we're going to look at Scripture because it's always good to get your theology from Scripture, isn't it? Not Wikipedia or uh, I think there's a Theopedia now that's the theology Wikipedia. It's good to go directly to the Scriptures and see what the Scriptures say and then go get other people's opinions. So we're going to look back at Acts chapter 2. Now we've, we've looked at this in the first week of this series, but we want to circle back around because this is where um, everything kind of started for the disciples. And so when we look at Acts chapter 2, it says this, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together. Talking about the disciples were all together. They were in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty, mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them. And it rested on each of them, and they were, say this word with me, they were all, what, filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. So I want to zero in on that word, filled, for just a few minutes. The Bible says that these disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he, he says that as the Spirit comes in and begins to fill them, they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That's important for you to understand. They spoke in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It wasn't something they did on their own. It was, it was enabled by that of the Holy Spirit that had happened. And so it says in Acts chapter 2, they were speaking in other human languages. And if you read on through the story, there was these God-fearing Jews that were there at Pentecost. And they began to hear the things that were being spoken by these disciples. And they began to make accusations towards these disciples. Because they're hearing their their own language being spoken by people that weren't from the areas that they were from. And it was completely confusing because they had already made this accusation, which was partially true, that the disciples were arrogant, untrained, or not arrogant, but just uh, untrained men that really didn't have any formal training, but yet they were speaking the words of God to people. They were preaching. Things were happening. People were being healed. There were miracles that were happening through the acts of the power of the Holy Spirit that was working within them. So now these accusations are being made by the God-fearing Jews because they're a little nervous and confused about what's happening right now because they've seen these men before. So they're confused by what's happening. They start to make fun of these guys, and one of the accusations they make when they hear and speak in other languages is they say, hey, I think these guys are drunk. I think these guys are drunk. And, and he says that they're, they're drunk and they're mocking, and Peter decides, no, 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 no. I'm going to defend what's going on right here. Like, we're not, they're not drunk. They're not drunk at all. It, he, matter of fact, he says in Scripture, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. And I know some of you just got back from Thanksgiving, and you know some people in your family, and at 9 o'clock they were already drunk, right? And so he says, it was, it's only 9 in the morning. I promise you, they are not drunk. But what they are is filled on the Holy Spirit. There's something that happened in that upper room that we weren't a part of, but Jesus continued to preach it, and it came true, the prophecies came true in that room, and now it's flooding the streets. So, no, they're not drunk. They're just filled by the Holy Spirit. 
And they're doing all these things that the Spirit has empowered them to do. They're doing the things that the Spirit has enabled them to do and the Spirit has led them to do. So I want to just camp out for one second on this thought of speaking in tongues for just a second. Now I know some of you just tightened up because some of you may have bad experiences with it. I I completely understand, but remember what we said in the first week of this. Whatever you've learned, we just want to put to the side for a couple of weeks and don't let our backgrounds get in the way of understanding something the Spirit may be trying to, to press on us for us to process, okay? Um, so if you've been around church, maybe you've been around someone who's speaking in tongues, maybe, maybe you were confused about what was going on. I remember my first experience around anybody speaking in tongues. I was, had to be about middle school. Um, we had, were attending a, a country Southern Baptist church, and I mean country, I mean country, country, country Baptist church. And we decided uh, one night there was a revival happening at the Pentecostal church in town. And so my middle school self was like, oh, let's go check it out. It was different from what I grew up with. I mean, I'm sitting there and they start praying, and the lady behind me is talking while the pastor is praying. And I'm thinking, well, how disrespectful is this? Then everybody else started talking while the pastor was praying. And then the lady behind me started saying things that I was like, is she okay? I felt like maybe she was having a stroke for a minute because I couldn't understand. And I was weirded out by it. And I just thought, they don't do this in our church. Like, we, uh-uh. Like, we, they don't. And it was an outpouring because it went, like, the service went on. I thought our church is about an hour, about two hours in. They were still going. Um, and I was just completely taken off guard as a middle schooler of not knowing what it was. So here was my thought process. This is weird. These people are weird. The people that I go to high school with, middle school with, that they're, they're weird because they speak in this, they talk when the pastor's talking and it's, this is weird like it was a new thing for me and then a few years ago um, I was about to take stage to preach and a dear friend of mine put his hand and said hey has anybody prayed for you I said no nobody's prayed for me and he said I want to pray for you and he put his hands on me and he began praying and then I don't know like 30 seconds in he starts praying in tongues over me but I didn't get the same thought of this dude's weird like, this is weird. Here it goes again. Middle school, Robbie's experiencing all these emotions again. And I'm about to take stage to, to preach, and I've got somebody praying over me. But it was a different thing. I had no idea what, what he was saying. But the deal was I knew what his heart was. And I knew that he had been with Jesus that morning and that God had given him something to pray over me. And I just felt okay with it. And, and isn't that how it is sometimes when it comes to the topic of speaking in tongues is that we either feel really weird or we feel that it's been empowered. And if you've been around church, you've probably heard of these two stances that people kind of take on the topic of tongues. The first one, stance number one, you would hear people say to be spirit-filled means that you must speak in tongues. Well, if you're going to be spirit-filled, you better have that gift and be speaking that. There's some people that would go as far as saying, if you don't speak in tongues, then you are not saved. And, And there's a theology out there on that. And In some Christian circles, people basically say, if you don't have the gift of speaking in tongues, then you're not a part of the elite Christianity. Like you're just second class and you don't play an important role as an important role in the kingdom. Kind of like you're less than everybody else. You haven't been baptized in the spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, so they'll see you as being a little less. And that's stance number one. Stance number two is speaking in tongues and the people who speak in tongues are weird. Like, Probably a lot of us are more in that camp than we are the first camp. Like, this is just weird. 
And can I say this too? I don't think that the people that reject speaking in tongues reject the biblical theology behind speaking in tongues. I think what we all reject and what makes us feel uncomfortable and weird is the way that it's been packaged because people make it weird, right? It is, it, it's just, people just make it weird. But it's in Scripture. And so what I want to do is, and I want to take just a few minutes because this is such a controversial subject in the church. And a matter of fact, out of all the gifts that the Spirit gives us, this is one of the least of all those gifts. It's not one that's really um, out there and that it's like, um, it's not talked about a lot compared to the other gifts, but it is still a gift of the Holy Spirit, and it still deserves our time and attention to talk through it scripturally of what it means to speak in tongues. And so I want us to kind of look on this subject for just a moment because it's a part of being spirit-filled of what the Bible says about speaking in tongues. Okay, you, you good? You still tracking with me? Hadn't lost anybody? I've prayed today that everybody speak in tongues where you live. I'm just kidding. See, some people got really, really uptight of going, oh, what's going on? What kind of church should I step into? But here, here's the first thing we know. There's two big thoughts on speaking in tongues. Number one, when someone speaks in tongues publicly, there should be an interpretation that happens. So if somebody's speaking it, if somebody just stood up right now and just caught the spirit and you started speaking in tongues, the Bible says that you can't do that without an interpreter. There has to be an interpreter to do that. This is why sometimes it's weird. Think about like, let's just say that we're all, like, we're, we're very mature at our faith. But somebody comes in who doesn't know Jesus, middle schooler, sits down in the chair, and tongues break loose in this place. What's going to happen to that person? Um, I'm not going to fill out that first-time guest card. I don't want to turn to my neighbor. Like, I'm just going to turn and walk out because it's, it's scary. And so if the Holy Spirit moves somebody to speak in an unlong language, there's nothing wrong with that. Some people would call that a private prayer language. Or it could be another language on earth. I mean, I mean we've, we saw here that they were even speaking the same dialect, the same languages as people from other countries, that they had that gift. But whatever the gift is, if there's ever a public speaking in tongues, there has to be an interpreter. So in church, there must be an interpreter. Here's what it says in, in the scriptures. It says, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three. So everybody can't go speaking in tongues if we have an interpreter, just a couple of you. Um, but he says, let each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and speak to God. It's private prayer language is what he's saying. If it's no interpreter, private prayer language is saying. So Paul's saying, if God has given you the gift and it appears that if you're in church and you kind of pray quietly or you speak kind uh, in this quiet language in tongues, but if anyone has a message you're going to give publicly, you have to have the interpreter. He goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 14, 23, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Or I think those people are drunk. The same thing that these God-fearing Jewish people told the disciples. They're drunk because they saw the gift. The one thing that Paul is very clear on and he's very specific on when it comes to the gift of tongues, is that when someone speaks in tongues publicly, there has to be interpretation. All right, we got that. So that's number one, okay? We're going somewhere with this, so hang tight. Number two, speaking in tongues strengthens the person speaking, not the church. Strengthens the person speaking, not the church. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, the one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. And now, I, wanted to, I want you all to speak in tongues. 
but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So the Corinth church, this is who he's writing to. Paul writes and pens these words to the Corinth church. There were some issues going on in the church. And if you study their background, there was a lot of fighting going on. Uh, There's a lot of arguing going on. A lot of it was just over theological things that they didn't quite understand. So when they didn't understand, they still spoke into it and still gave their opinion, even though they didn't understand it. Not a lot has changed over the last 2,000 years. And so they're, they're arguing, they're fighting, they're having hard times with each other, and Paul has to step in because one of the main arguments was over these spiritual gifts that we talked about last week because they were arguing over who has them and who's more elite and who's better, and it was just this confusion over the spiritual gifts that Paul speaks to. And so they're arguing over these things. And so here we are, again, 2,000 years later, and it seems like the same argument is taking place over the gift of tongues. And I, I really believe that a lot of it is that we just don't understand what it is. And so a lot of us choose to just make bold statements. I remember even in, in college, I had bold statements about what I felt with people that spoke in tongues. But I didn't have any theology to back up anything that I was saying. So who was in the wrong? I was. Who was I to tell somebody that tongues doesn't exist? It was in scripture, but it's not for you. I was basing that off the fact that I'd never had it, and I must be the spiritual elite because I know all these things. And you're wrong. And that was my basis for it. Until I really got into the scripture and started asking the scriptures, what, what is this thing of tongues? Because it was this thing that we were to be feared, and I never saw it as a, a gifting that the Holy Spirit would give you to strengthen you that could be a guide for you, that could, be, uh, could, could make your relationship with God just take it up a notch with him. And so they're still arguing over it then, we're still arguing over it now, they're just fighting in the church. So in chapter 12, last week, we talked about the gifts of the Spirit that he gives us, right? So here in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, he gives an explanation of those gifts. So he's talking about the gifts that happen in 12, and here in 14, He's talking through all these gifts. He's given a little bit more explanation of them. And that's what we're finding. As he's, remember, you've got to remember the context that he's writing to a church that is arguing with each other. Like it's, it's the worst thing ever going on because they're nothing but nonstop arguing. And so he, here he goes. But if you look between 12, where he gives the gifts, and 14, he explains the gifts. Right in the middle of that, we find 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, many of you know 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You may know it by another name. We call it the love chapter, right? Right in the middle of this controversial subject, Paul interjects chapter 13 on love. Now, understand in our context, we have the beauty of having chapters and verses. In their context, it was just one long letter, so Paul just let it flow. And it, I kind of felt like, We've explained a lot of stuff. I want to bring you up for air for just a minute because I want to talk about love. Because if you don't have love, then what good is this gift? What good are any of these gifts? So in chapter 13, he gave this whole teaching about love in the context of these gifts. When you truly love God and you truly love people, you want to do these gifts. You want to operate in these gifts. And it's interesting that when it comes to this one particular gift of speaking in tongues, the first thing that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you've probably read this a thousand times, but look at the first thing Paul says in chapter 
13, verse 1. If I speak in what? If I speak in the tongues of men and of the angels, but I have not love, I am just a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. I can have this gift and speak in tongues all day long and have this private link, but if I don't have love, it's just a bunch of noise. And people will just cover their ears to what we have to say. They don't want to hear the noise. He says, so you can have these gifts, but if you're going to have them, your life needs to align with that of the Holy Spirit. If people are going to take it seriously, if people are going to listen. And this is the first thing right out the gate that he's, he's focused in on with the people that are speaking in the tongue. Do not let this become divisive. Love one another. Love one another in this. Paul's saying don't focus so much on the gifts, but focus on the giver of the gifts. Love God, operate in your gifts. And then he says this in 1 Corinthians 14, 18. He goes on to Paul, says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct other people than 10,000 words in a tongue. Did you catch Paul for a minute? He kind of starts out where it's like, oh, humble alert, Paul. Slow your roll. When he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you guys do. But then he puts the brakes on. He says, but I would rather say five words that were out of love than say 10,000 in the gift of the tongue. And this is Paul's heart. Because what he's trying to paint is, as important of a gift that it is, don't focus so much. Because see, here's the thing that when we hear it, a lot of us feel guilty because we don't have the gift. That we've never prayed that. So something must be wrong, that we don't feel like we're spiritually elite. I told you a couple of weeks ago, I have, I've prayed for the gift. I have not spoken in tongues. And I'm okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm still going to encounter the presence of God when I wake up and I open his word. And I believe that God's still going to speak to me. And there's some people in this room that I know without the shadow of a doubt that have the gift. And rather than being jealous of that gift, I want to celebrate with them on that gift. Hey, you have it. Would you pray for me? In your private time with God, would you pray for me on these things? It doesn't mean that they have a higher level. It just means that they're able to speak clear, that the Holy Spirit's working in them in a different way. And it's okay. So I just want to give you permission right now that if you've never spoken in a tongue, it is okay. But just but keep asking God to see if God will allow you to have that gift. It's a beautiful thing. It doesn't have to be destructive. It doesn't have to be divisive. It doesn't have to be this thing that we're scared of. I don't want us running from the call of the Holy Spirit. I want us running to the call of the Holy Spirit and embracing everything that he has, even if we don't understand it. Because we're going to be so much better when we do that. So Paul's saying here, I'd rather do these five words that the body can understand. I would rather say five words the body can understand than the 10,000 of the tongue. So if you ask me, if I believe in the gift of speaking in tongues, is that valid today? So does this really happen today? The people really speak in tune with the Holy Spirit and biblically align, do people speak in tongues? And is it legit? Yes, I firmly believe that that still happens today. Now, there's some theologies and some beliefs that people would say the, Holy, the works of the Holy Spirit, they no longer exist for us today. And for those that say that, you're missing out. I would say you're missing out on an active, working Holy Spirit that wants to be involved in our lives. And so, 
it, it, the tongue still happens. And I believe that for those that don't have it, I want to focus more on speaking five words than 10,000 in a tongue. Uh, and, and if God gives me the gift, then I'll still always value speaking the five words versus the tongue. But it's important that we talk about this gift because we can't just read part of that scripture and pass over it, right? Because I know when I used to read the Bible, when I used to read things like 1 Corinthians 14 and I saw the word tongue, boom, let's just jump right over that. And we'll go to James. We'll talk about that. I can buy under the James talk of like hold your tongue and don't speak things that you shouldn't speak. But we want to we want to bypass it because these things scare us. But I hope that right now a little bit of ease is being caused in your life. Because if we can let that barrier drop, the Holy Spirit can kind of, I think we can sometimes block what the Spirit's trying to do in us. But if we drop our guard and just say, okay, I'm going to be open to what he wants and what he wants me to understand in this, I think we're going to be better off. So tongues. When we talk about the Spirit-filled life, there, again, there's a lot of confusion on that. There's a lot of people that get divisive on that. But the pressing question that I believe is the most important for all of us is this question. Do you have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Spirit? Or are speaking in tongues the only evidence of a Spirit-filled life? So the answer is, what do you think the answer is? No, good answer. The answer is no. In Spanish, the answer is no. You don't have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Although some, again, teach you that, that's not... That's not absolutely true. It's not even completely true. It's biblically unformed. The answer is no. You do not have to speak in tongues to be spirit-filled. So then what evidences is it that you are filled with the Holy Spirit? Because a lot of people just bounce it off of that, that if you have this, this is the evidence that the Spirit is in you. If you don't have it, then there is no evidence is what they say. But I want to I present you another, another side of it that Scripture is very clear on. There are evidences, Right? There are evidences. Matter of fact, the best evidence of a spirit-filled life is a believer who exhibits the fruits of the spirit. Someone who has love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Those are great evidences of the Holy Spirit. Let's just take love for a second. What if we loved people the way we loved ourselves? What if we judged people the way we judged ourselves? What would happen? Because, see, the Bible says that God is love, so for us to fully understand love would be for us to understand God. So when we love someone, we would love them the way that God loved them. What more evidence do you need that the Holy Spirit's at work in your life? Think about that family member that you were sitting across the table from at Thanksgiving, and you just wanted to spiritually lay hands on them. Like, they brought up politics. They dropped the political question, and the table went, anybody? Don't raise your hand, because the person may be in the room. But think about it for just a second. Think about if you love them and patient with them and kind to them, what more evidence do you need that the Holy Spirit's at work? So the best evidence of a Spirit-filled life is in being filled with, filled with the Spirit is just living the fruits of the Spirit out. Just living that out and, and people going, why are, you, why are you treating me this way? Why are you taking the time to pray over me? Why are you taking the time to encourage me? Why are you being so kind? It's because this is what I was made to do. What more evidence do you need? Because don't you agree with me that if we lived that kind of lifestyle and we lived out the Spirit, that it would stand out in the broken and fallen world that we live in? I mean, we would just point directly to Jesus. 
because that's the only thing that we would be able to point to. And this is the only way we can operate in this is because of Jesus. And that's the kind of, that's the kind of prayers that I pray for us as a church and for me as an individual is that I, want, I just sometimes just want to be mistaken, that I, I want to be guilty of loving people too much. And it's difficult. I want to be able to love people like Jesus. And sometimes it's difficult. I want to have the same grace that people had for Jesus. And these are the prayers that I pray for us and for you. That when people encounter someone that attends here, that they walk away going, they've been with Jesus. They've been with Jesus. And that's the heart. That's the heart. And so for the next, just for the next few minutes, so that's tongues and that's being filled and this is all going to tie in. For the next few minutes, let's look very specifically about how is it that we as believers, as Christians, how do we live a spirit-filled life? So if we know that the best evidence of that is not tongues, but it's, it's us living out these, spirit, these fruits of the spirit, how do we live the spirit-filled life and what does it look like? And what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because if you Google that on YouTube, you're going to come up with some pretty weird but yet funny things that you're going to find on YouTube of people being filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going to see people falling out. You're going to see um, great videos that people have added great songs to of people falling out in, in big pieces. You're going to see people waving handkerchiefs and all kinds of crazy things. But that doesn't mean spirit-filled. But look at Galatians. Paul writes this to the church in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Or in, in other words, be led by the Spirit. If you look this up, what it means is, in the Greek language, is walk in cadence with, on beat to. Like I think about our band, like you guys can't see it. They know, but they have these little earpieces in their ear. And there's this little thing called a click track, and it goes click, click, click. And you know what that does besides get on your nerves? Because you get to hear the beautiful music, they're having the, they have this little click that's on top of it that doesn't sound as fun. But that is the cadence of the beat of the song. So everybody plays in tune together, and it's more enjoyable that way, right? If we took that out, and I can tell you, if we took it out and I'm playing, it's a hot mess. Like, Dennis is going to play one thing on bass, and I'm going to be playing 14 different chords than what Cameron's got over here, and we're all going to be out of sync. But that click keeps everything in harmony it keeps everything in cadence and and here's what Paul's saying just like that click I say walk by the spirit in cadence with in tune with if we were all doing that the harmony that would be here and he says so walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh because you don't want to do what the flesh tells you to do because you're walking with the spirit you want what the spirit has you want to have these evidences of what the spirit wants to do in your life and he says so For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. He says to this battle, to be spirit-filled, that to do it, there's going to be this natural gravitational pull to just want to do what we feel like is the right thing versus just doing what the spirit says, which we know is the right thing. Because we can find comfort in things that we feel that we can control. We feel very uncomfortable and out of control when we have to live and walk by the Spirit. But he says, if you do it, you'll be in cadence, in rhythm with the heartbeat of God. So he says, believers, when you're spiritually born again and when you trusted Jesus, you were spiritually renewed. You walk to a different beat of a drum, that of God, that of the Spirit, that we're in tune with him. 
So the Holy Spirit, when you, when you made that commitment and you said, I want Jesus to be Lord and Savior of my life, in that moment the Holy Spirit came in. And a lot of people talk about, is there a second baptism of the Holy Spirit? You've probably heard those terminologies. There probably is a second baptism, and there's a third and a fourth and a fifth and a ten thousandth, because I believe that the Holy Spirit is continually at work in our lives. He's continually doing things in our life because that's who he is. And there's times that we look at people and maybe you think of other Christians and you may look at that person and go, I, I feel like that person right there is probably closer to God than I am. God, I wish I had that. Have you ever had somebody like that that is a spiritual person in your life and you're saying, I just wish that I could have that. Like they must be closer to God than I am. I, I know a guy that um, I've always had that thought about, like, I just wish I could be in tune, because that's really what it is. It's not that he's closer to God. He's just more in tune with what the Holy Spirit says. And, and I've seen him pray in ways that it, it's, I can't even explain the way that he just prays. I've heard him say five words that were more powerful and impactful in my life than, he, than he's done anything else. I remember this one time that we were sitting around. This is how in tune with God he was. We were sitting in a group. There's some high school students and a couple of leaders and he just stops the middle of the worship set. I mean, when I talk about worship set, I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about overhead projector, 12-string guitar, circle, kumbaya, that kind of thing. And he stopped it, and he walked to one of our leaders, and he put his hand on her uh, shoulder and put the other hand on her ear and said, can I pray for your husband? Because I know he hasn't been able to turn his neck because he's got a massive ear infection. And she just looked at him, and then we all looked at her, and she starts crying, and she said, yeah, how did you know? He said, the Holy Spirit just told me. And he prayed over her and prayed over this man for his ear and his neck and his shoulder. And her phone rang when he said amen. And he said, you'll never believe what just happened. I just turned my neck for the first time in weeks, in weeks. Now, I'm flip, flipping out right now. I'm like, we've been pumped. <laughs> just planned. He had no idea, but he was so in tune with the Holy Spirit. And, that, and I've, I've, I've always felt, I, I wish that I could have that. When I found this, he just spends a lot of time hearing from the Spirit. Like he's, he doesn't be filled with everything else. He's getting filled with the Spirit. He's not filled with the soul of, of, of things of the world. And, he, and he, when we do that, when we begin comparing that we wish that we had this, it's not that people are more elite. It's just that we, we just got to get, cleaner communication between us and the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Okay. I want that to be more encouraging to you. Here's the last thing. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says this to the church in Ephesus. Look carefully then how you walk. Don't walk as unwise people. Because remember, if we walk in cadence with the Holy Spirit, as he just said, we're not going to walk unwise. We're going to be very wise. He says, don't walk unwise. Make the best of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine. For that's debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? Because in Acts chapter 2, what was the accusation that they told the disciples when they were living out the gifts of the Spirit? They were drunk. Paul reminds these people, don't get drunk. He was making a connection back to Acts chapter 2, but he was also telling them, don't get drunk. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled, don't be drunk. Don't be drunk on wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. He, what Paul, here's what Paul's saying. When someone is drunk, right, 
nobody, I mean, I know that nobody in here has done that, and you just know this from secondhand information. You have, you know, when, when somebody is drunk, they're under the influence, right? There's an influence that they have. There's something else that's controlling them. They're under power of something. They're under influence of something. They're being controlled by alcohol. And what happens when you're under the influence of alcohol? Well, you begin saying things differently. You begin thinking things differently. You process things. You walk differently because you're under the influence. But here's what he's saying. If you're going to get drunk, get drunk off the Holy Spirit. Because you will walk differently, you will think differently, you will act differently, because you will be under the influence of the Spirit. And he's challenging the church to be filled with the Spirit, because it's what we've been called to do. So he says, be filled, be filled. The presence of the Holy Spirit is a continual and progressive filling that he continues to pour into us. The most literal translation for to, to be filled with his presence is a present tense verb that means to continuously be filled with. So it's not a one-time event. He continuously fills us in hopes that we would hear him clearly, we would walk in tune and in cadence with him so that we can become more like Jesus. So that we can become more like Jesus that our gifts would be used to point people to God and not to us, but that we could point people to Jesus. A continual, ongoing work of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. So it's nonstop. It's progressive. It's moving. So here's my question. Are you allowing the filling of the Holy Spirit every day to continue to pour into you? some of us are running on empty we're running on empty you can't do it by yourself you can't live life by yourself you've got to have the guidance of the Holy Spirit in your life and you've got to have community around you it's vital notice Jesus heard from the Holy Spirit he spent time with his father also surrounded himself around community with his disciples. I want to encourage you today that there's an abundance of spiritual gifts and fruit available to you from the Spirit. It's available. And if you want to, if you want to experience it, here's, here's a couple of ways to live the Spirit-filled life. Open up your Bible. Read. Ask God, what do, you want, what do you want me to get out of this? What do you try to tell me? You don't have to read a whole chapter. It may just be a sentence. It may be a verse. It may be a word that he wants to use in your life. Close your eyes and talk to him about it. Be aware of his presence. Pray with your family. Serve people. Use your gifts. There's lots of ways to experience the Holy Spirit. If you really want to take it up a notch, next time you stop at a stoplight and you look at the person beside you, let's pray for them. Let's pray for them. You never know. They may walk through the doors of this church one day and you pray to them in and you disciple them. Just pray for them. Would you pray with me? Father, 
We ask that in your presence, your Holy Spirit would do a supernatural work in all of our lives. For every person here that is a believer, God, I just pray that we don't feel guilty if we don't have the gift of tongues. But God, I pray that we would spend our focus in the area of our fruits, the evidences of the fruit in our life. God, are we, are we loving people? Are we patient with people? Do we have self-control? And Lord, that we would just seek your presence. We thank you for your spirit and we thank you for what you're going to do in this place right now. And I just pray that you would move our hearts, that you bring conviction in our lives so that we can change the things that you are asking us to change, that you'd speak into those and we would repent of those things. So Father, move now. We thank you for what you're going to do. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Would you stand and we're going to get ready to sing. And this morning, you just want to be prayed for. We have a prayer team over in the tent that would love just to lay hands with you and pray this morning for whatever it is that you may need to encourage you. Let's continue to worship this morning.